Welcome to Deeper Dive. It's your host Dawn today and Joe is not available. So we just, our prayers go out to Joe. He's fine though. And we hope to see him next time. And this podcast is brought to you by Plantation SDA Church. And today is season two, episode 42 of our podcast, but it's also Jesus at the Center's episode number eight. And our final installment for Jesus at the Center was Pastor Conrad Duncan. (laughs) Hello, Pastor. How are you today? I am doing fine. Thank you. So before we start our discussion, Pastor, I'm just going to pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity just to expound on your word, deeper dive, so we can go deeper into the things that you've given Pastor Duncan to share with us. We ask now that as we go through, that you'll just be with him and his family, continue to bless them, continue to bless his ministry, and help this podcast just to go worldwide so others would come to know more about you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So you are the final installment for Jesus at the Center. And so you were left the task of wrapping up our whole week-long um, expose, I suppose it is, of Jesus. And you chose, are you ready for the world's greatest crisis? That was your title. Why did you choose that? Well, I was practically prescribed the theme. Okay. I, never, I never do my best when I am given the theme. I like the themes that God actually shoot directly to me through my dreams and my thoughts and meditations and Bible. I do what is called Bible journaling. Mm-hmm. And I, I make special markings of things that speak strongly to me. Mm-hmm. And that is, and that are shareable, and those become the themes and the topics of my sermons. Mm. You know, but sometimes I accommodate a prescribed theme, mm-hmm. which usually causes me to work a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Wow. So let's let me just touch on what you actually do. What is your position in the conference? Because you did share a little bit about that at the beginning of your sermon. Well, I serve two major roles, and one is multiplied into many, and one is more particular. Uh, They have Mm -hmm. made me the vice president for general administration, and it Mm -hmm. really means to be the right arm of the president. I'm one of four vice presidents, but my particular assignment is, is it has to do with the agenda of the president. Okay. While the others okay. have their, you know, specialized area, like the vice president for ministerial, he handles everything pastoral, you know, transfer, mm-hmm. employment of pastors and all that. Then you have the vice mm-hmm. president for education, and he deals everything with school and, and, and institutions and students and all. Then you have the vice president for Spanish language. And this, mm. this fellow deals with the Hispanic ministry, which is the second strongest um, or second largest uh, group, what you'd call ethnic group within our conference. Mm-hmm. I think they have mm-hmm. over 60 churches and they have wow. pastors assigned to all those churches. And so he deals with that. Now, I am assigned to work directly with the president to answer questions uh, from the constituency on matters of theology and doctrine and ecclesiology and to carry out his appointments whenever he cannot and things like that. And what is your other role? My other role is to be a department director for five ministries, including Mm, Christian stewardship, um, membership retention, adult Sabbath school, um, community service, um, 
and disaster response. I'm also asked to be the supervisor for two departments, that's men's ministry and prison ministry. Wow, you have a lot of jobs. <laughs> How do you keep track of everything? Well, to be honest with you, I give most of the credit to my administrative assistant, Admelise Camarillo. She, okay. she helps me to make my life easier and, and my work more effective. She's tremendous mm -hmm. at this. And, um, you know, she has a portfolio for everything, for every department. And some things mm -hmm. we cross we cross produce, but some things are mm -hmm. particular and she's, right. she's doing well at keeping them separate. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. So you touched a little bit about Surfside. What was your role in Surfside? Yes, well, the Florida Conference of Seventh-day Adventists has a memorandum of agreement, MOA. It used to be called MOU or Memorandum of Understanding, which is basically mm -hmm. a contract to provide leadership or management for warehouses once, once there's a federally declared disaster, the state usually mm -hmm. requires the operation of a warehouse to provide supplies for victims of that disaster. So the mm -hmm. state will provide all the raw material, all the foods, all the equipment and things that are needed to, to alleviate the sufferings of people. And our mm -hmm. conference has the contract to manage the operation. And okay. that's a huge assignment because we have, we have to position our um, equipment. We have to organize the warehouse facility in sections because you can't mm -hmm. mix certain products with others. You know, food is separate from medical supplies and toiletries right. Right. and, you know, right. things like tents and chairs and tables, furniture. We have to have separate spacing for all of that. And yes. then for the yes. food, you need a team that will come in and assort, eliminate the expired, you know, tin foods and other foods, mm -hmm. uh, pre-packed foods, and then we label them, and then we palletize, we keep them on pallets, we box and palletize and keep them on pallets for easy operation. We use forklifts to lift the pallet with all these boxes, from one mm -hmm. section of the warehouse to the other until we get them to the, the loading dock, which is usually mm -hmm. at the back of the warehouse. And so mm -hmm. we have to arrange trucking and taking the stuff to various distribution centers. The main warehouse mm -hmm. is like a collection center. Mm -hmm. And the distribution centers are usually in several places within, within 20 miles of the disaster mm -hmm. zone. And at those distribution centers, uh, we make appointments with people to come on particular dates and at certain times to pick up the supplies that they need. And what yeah. we do, we yeah. organize each distribution center more like a, like a thrift store. Okay. where things are all together labeled and people are asked to come in and choose what they want. Okay. Or if it's an old person or an, uh, a handicapped person and they cannot do the manual work, they just tell us what they need. They give us a list and we do the packing okay. and we deliver. And many times we have to actually carry the stuff to their homes with okay. our own transport arrangement, of course. And we're mm. fully equipped with all of that. So no problem. So that's what we did for the Surfside uh, disaster. And um, mm. it was kind of different in a few ways. Number one, we've never managed a warehouse for a building collapse type disaster. We have always responded to hurricanes and, um, and uh, earthquakes. 
and um, storms and tornadoes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the Surfside was different because all the victims we assisted were actually housed in the same facility. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. And we provided not only materialistic assistance, but spiritual, what we call um, spiritual and emotional care for these victims or, or, you know, families that lost their loved ones in this disaster. So we provided counsel and prayer and spiritual support for traumatized people, emotionally hurting people and things like that. Mm. Wow. Okay. You talked a little bit about the ministry of presence. What is the ministry of presence? Well, in short, it's like you identify someone that is in need of moral support and you show okay. up rather mm -hmm. than having them languishing, not knowing if anyone cares. You find out their whereabout, find out the nature of the need and just show up. And of course, we have people who are trained, trained and qualified to provide that kind of emotional and moral support. And, and, and as I said on Sabbath, sometimes our pastors who are doing this, uh, including myself, we show up and the people are hurting so gravely that mm. that if we say too much, we may say the wrong things and add to their pain. So yes. so we sit and we it's their agenda. If they want to express themselves or make a request for prayer or anything else, it's up to them. We just show up and perform. We have actually practiced physical gestures that that mm. that that demonstrate the support you know, mm. without having to say too much. And mm. proselyting is a no-no mm. in this circumstance. You cannot force religious beliefs and things like that and opinions on people who are suffering like that. Suffering. Unless they mm. say, you know, you people seem different and you must be guided by a religion that is that is that is you know different tell me something about you know they it has to come from them they have to request them. and even then you have to limit how much you you know you load load unload upon them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting yes. we, we always think that when we're in that kind of environment that automatically people are going to want to be prayed for, or they're going to want to hear about God and be even sermonized almost as well in that environment. And, and I think we have to be mindful yes. of when people are going through that kind of crisis that sometimes they just need you just to be Thank there you. to support them. It's called sensitivity. Sensitivity, yeah. And yeah. some are religious, you know. Some of these people are yes. religious-minded, yes. and they are the ones that would would desire a prayer or something like that. But but mm. sometimes many are not religious. You bring up that yeah. thing, and they they tell you to leave, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You have to be very careful. <laughs> yes, it's true. And then you talked a little bit about Haiti. What is your invite? I know it's just basically monetary that we are sending to Haiti a, long, a lot a lot of the times, every Sabbath, we do advertise Thank you. for monetary gifts for Haiti. Why is it that the conference, just talk, talk to us a little bit about how these gifts are being sent to Haiti and what they are actually being used for. Thank you. So we narrowed this down to cash donations mm. because we have several times gotten involved in shipping material donations, you know, foods, clothing, mm -hmm. tents, small tents and things like that, blankets, medical supplies. We have in the past shipped those things to places like Puerto Rico and to Haiti. In fact, in 2010, when they had this major earthquake in Port-au-Prince, mm -hmm. We right, did, we right. did, I think we did send a couple of containers 
working together with the Advent Health, which was then the Florida Hospital, um, Advent Hospital, uh, the mm -hmm. Advent uh, Health people. Mm -hmm. uh, we partnered mm -hmm. with them. And in the Bahamas disaster two years ago, we did send about, I think it was exactly six containers, 40 foot containers laden with, with donations from our constituency and from business mm -hmm. organizations that we, we, we have in our network. Um, mm -hmm. But for the Haiti operation this time, um, it came on the back end of our operation in, in Surfside, in the Surfside um, disaster. And our team, right. our team uh, was a little tired. Yeah, they, they overworked and 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 so to have a similar collection of goods and you know shipping and of goods and all that transporting and shipping uh, would be a little too much. And we had a meeting and decided that we will ask our members and our churches and constituent um, supporters to to send cash. Now in the Florida mm. conference, we have an active Haitian advisory okay. consisted of, um, I think, four, five of our employed pastors. They're all from Haiti. Uh, right. And uh, they go back and forth. They're, they're families and friends. And so they were, they studied in Haiti. They were educated there. So they have a grand network or connection there. And so they mm. advise us on how we get this help into Haiti. It's not the mm -hmm. first time. That's how we have always done it. Whatever they tell us, sometimes they will go physically to the place and make arrangements with the Adventist um, administrators of the unions and the university mm -hmm. as necessary and, and come back to us and, and give us the, the direct line to these people. And so mm -hmm. this is what we did. Um, we were instructed to wire the funds that we collect and total, mm -hmm. you know, because each church is doing its own thing and churches give various amounts. The larger churches, especially those that are Haitians, they will give the larger amount, you know? And then we right. have some that have no Haitian members, but they just serve the needs of People. In fact, one church once um, gave us a check of about $3,000. And mm. I mean, if 333 churches do that, imagine, you know. Exactly. So, exactly. so hats off to a church like that. I remember not long ago, between 2010 earthquake and what happened the other day, we have had other things in Haiti. And one church by the name of... Um, Poor Charlotte. I hate to call names because there are so I many know. names to call and it sounds unfair to leave some out. But I remember once yeah. they send us a check within days of the disaster of, of, of ah. about $1,500, which nice. means nice. they didn't have time to collect from their members. The church mm -hmm. leadership just decided we will send this to help. Yeah. No, and yeah, so churches yeah. do that. My conference, for example, when I discussed our effort to help Haiti last month, they said, we'll give you the first $10,000 oh, and wow. build upon awesome. that. Right, of course, right, every right. dime that the conference has is really from the churches. So you, you can say it's, it's the people's money being recycled yes, and turned back into <laughs> okay. the people's needs. And this administration mm -hmm. does that quite a bit. You know, yeah. we, we say yes to almost all the requests for, for needs uh, of this mm -hmm. kind. And so mm -hmm. we wired, we had our treasury department wire the funds directly um, to the union president and treasurer and his entire administration. And mm -hmm. um, they sent us an email confirmation and pictures of the reception of the funds. Awesome. And awesome. they, ahead of that, they had identified the projects they would use the funds for, 
And most of it was going to actually feed hungry people in a certain oh. area. And portions would be used to rebuild, you know, some small schools and things like that. I also mm -hmm. was lucky to have the Haitian advisory um, discover someone that was doing shipping. And I got them a number of small tents and oh, brought them geez. to the Haitian advisory director. And he did get that shipping um, agency to take the, the tents there. And I have I pictures on my phone right now of the people receiving the tents and just waving in appreciation. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So that's good. Thank you. It's good to know where our, our donations are actually going and that they're actually reaching the people and yes. being utilized so well. It's wonderful. Okay. So let's go into your sermon now. The natural disasters. As Christians, how should we really view natural disasters? Do are we supposed to panic and then think about how we can deal with it, or are we just supposed to pray? Hmm. All of the above. <laughs> hmm. I think as human beings, whether we're Christians or not, we must realize we are living and dwelling in a natural world. And long the advantage that the Christians have is that Jesus himself told us that there will be there, there would be these things. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, he talks about in the last days we shall have, you know, stress, distress, and and you know, distress of nations and earthquakes. And so we should not be caught off guard when these things happen. And he also told us how to relate to these things. He says, um, when you see these happen, these things happening, um, let not your heart be troubled. Um, trust in me. But he's not saying that you shouldn't be concerned enough to make preparation and to, and to share in the suffering feelings of, of, of victims of these disasters. And you will never get the best Christian to abandon every modicum of fear. It's impossible. Once you're human and you're and you're mortal and you are still on this side of Jordan, you have to think of the safety of your family, the safety of your house, your animals if you are into farming and so forth. And so you you become deeply concerned. Let me remove the word fear and say extremely concerned enough mm -hmm. to think about it and to make your, your best effort to prepare for it. So, mm -hmm. so when the storm is coming over my house, I consider myself a, a, a Christian and I trust God and I always appreciate his protective care in these, in these matters. But when I see the storm coming over and the winds are 75 miles an hour, and I see my fence leaning down and the limbs of my trees coming off. Believe you me, I am not in a celebratory mood. Right. The human part of me is tempted to, to worry mm -hmm. and make me pray more. So, mm -hmm. and I don't think I'm alone in this type of reaction. So, so we should have faith in God, and he always shows up. I think in all these disasters, things could have been worse. I believe had it not been for God, God's intervention, things would be worse. Sometimes we can't calculate or measure, nor measure how much God intervened and how much he prevented. But mm. we also know that he's not the cause of these things. The destroyer is the enemy. And I don't know if you remember the time in the book of Kings when Elijah was running from, from Ahab, Ahab and, and his wife Jezebel. Jezebel, yeah. And, 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 you know, there were some disturbances in nature. There was a fire and there was a storm, and then the Bible says, and God was not in this, and he was not in it. So it had to be the devil. 
because there are only two that are credited for the, the supernatural, you know, God mm. or the devil. And the Bible mm. cleared God. It gave him an alibi. It says he was not in the fire. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the storm. So it had to be the evil one, the destroyer. And so I don't see him as the cause of anything destructive. Why would a God loves us so much? Why would a God love us so much? I'm sorry. Enough to send his only son to die to save him or to save us and, and delight in destroying us. Yeah. You know, I cannot, you cannot convince me to believe that. And um, so we will have to, we'll have to accept the reality that these things will happen once we are on this sinful planet and dealing with nature and that God is not the cause, but he's willing and ready to help us. But at the same time, we must do our best to help ourselves. Absolutely. Throughout your whole sermon, I realized that you itemize the fact that studying God's word is so very important. Why did you delve so deep into that? You know, in my research for this um, sermon, I'm sorry, my time, you know, the time you all gave me, I won't blame you or anyone, but the time was not like a whole lot of time. I yeah, I heard of this a week and a half up to two weeks before the date. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to do a lot of reading up and thing, but I did go on the internet and, and, and study about people's response to the word of God in these days. And I, I was surprised to know that many people don't care about the Bible, including religious people. And that the Bible is the least consulted by certain groups of people. And this to me is a bad sign. We cannot, we cannot support an extinction of, of this. Yeah. Because, and of course, you know, uh, the Bible cannot be destroyed because everyone that hates it has tried to destroy it from, from everlasting to everlasting, and it's still here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to actually literally have a Bible, a book in your hand, a physical book to know the mm -hmm. content of the Bible. You mm -hmm. can understand and, and memorize the concepts and messages and the gospel mm -hmm. and take that along with you daily, even if you don't have mm -hmm. a physical Bible. And that I, I, I feel is my duty to encourage people to do because we may not have access to this book forever. Um, exactly. We believe there was a time, history, history supports it, there was a time when it was illegal to hold the Bible and to own exactly. one as the, mm -hmm. as the powers that be would 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 make sure that a common believer would not have a Bible so that mm. they could believe only what they were told. Mm. You know, when the Catholic Church dominated the world's religion, as it were, um, mm. they wanted people only to, to learn and believe what they taught. What they were teaching. Right? And, mm. and if it happened before, it, it, it could happen again, you know. Exactly. So we, I think we are in a time of, of liberty now to have access mm -hmm. to the Bible. So we need to capitalize on that and, 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 trans, and transmit or transfer what's written into our minds mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that if we lose this access, we can still be guided by the principles of the same. Amen. Amen. That's so very true. In this day and age, we're in COVID, we're in a pandemic, um, people are losing their jobs, people are losing their homes, people are losing a lot of things, even loved ones are dying, not only from COVID, but from other mm -hmm. things. 
how do we use as Christians, how do we use God's word mm. to be able to deal with the life that we're living right now? Mm. I like the last verse of, of John chapter 16. Um, I, I would rather quote it verbatim, verbatim mm -hmm. than to mm -hmm. speculate. But in John chapter 16, I think it's verse 31, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, his followers, um, uh, no, verse 33 is John 16, 33. It says, I have told you these things that in me, you may have peace, peace of mind, calm, no need to overstress and be de-stressed until you are depressed. Mm. No, because in the world, you will have trouble. One, one version says tribulations. Mm. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I've done the hard work for you. Leave that to me. Um, rest in the fact. Console yourself in the fact that I have done the hard work. So all you have to do is to trust in me. Mm. So I take messages directly from the bible like this to people who are panicky and those who are losing it over the tribulations of life and say you know um trust in jesus he's the answer for the problems of the world no matter what the nature of the problem is there's a little mm -hmm. song i grew up singing Jesus is the answer for the world today. And, and that is so true in every age. Mm. And this is not something we can explain, you know. Spiritual things are mm. spiritually discerned. The average mind cannot see through the eyes of the spirit. And you cannot mm. convince somebody that this is real mm. until they experience it themselves. I have experienced it. I am experiencing it. The peace of mind that trusting in Jesus produces uh, is real to me and I'm sure mm. to many others. I see mm. you on the list. And, mm. and, and that's all I can do. Transmit what's here to those who mm. may not understand it nor have access to it nor are able to, to interpret the word words of comfort that Jesus and you know in Isaiah 41 and verse 6 there's another passage which says and everyone helps his neighbor and say unto him brother be of good comfort mm. you know so we are supposed to share what we learn of the comforting mm. words of Jesus with those who need it mm. I have a question for you though. Do you think that the reason that as Christians we panic is because we haven't experienced that calmness of having Christ within us? I think you're correct. You know, Christ, being a Christian, being called a Christian does mm -hmm. not mean that we're all close to Jesus enough to have enough faith in him. You know, a religious label sometimes is the beginning of that experience. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not unusual for people who call themselves Christians and religious to still worry like people who have no connection with religion. Yeah, yeah. And um, there are levels of faith. Yes. There are weak faith, there is weak faith, and there is strong faith. I remember Jesus had a habit of telling his disciples, I can't say this to you now, fellows, because you're not ready to handle it, you know? You know, and so, and so there was a time when a, sick, a man brought his sick son to nine of Jesus' disciples, 
and the, the demons were killing this boy and they could not help the boy. So Jesus came back and the disciples, and, and as he came, he healed the boy. So mm -hmm. to their surprise, the nine asked him, so why couldn't we do it? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, ye of little faith. And on other occasion, he says, how long have I been with you? Can't you learn? Can't you get it? This kind, este genero, this kind of demonic force cannot be handled uh, with weak faith, uh, mm. except by fasting and prayer, which is an expression of a deeper engagement with the spirit of god because it's a recognition of your inability to do it but but of his ability to do it so there are levels of faith i believe so awesome awesome so let's touch a little bit about um the three your three characteristics of god's word you said number one was durable Number two is reliable, and number three is applicable. Yes. Explain those. Well, me. of course, you and I know that there are countless characteristics of God's words. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. you know, when you give me 30 minutes to preach, <laughs> I, I have to find a way to, to summarize Convince. things, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, to tell a Jamaican preacher that you have 30 minutes, is is not justice to him because yeah i know you know, I know right <laughs> you know because he usually thinks that we sh he sh you should let the spirit lead and, and not the clock exactly. you know not the clock <laughs> but we're also conscious of the fact that um um long preaching can cause can cause uh people to fall to fall off the ledge and die you know mm -hmm. Like in the case of yeah. Paul and Eutychus, yeah. yeah, you can put people people to sleep, and you can put mm -hmm. them to the sleep of death. <laughs> so we are both conscious of the two extremes. I know, but yeah, the three characteristics of God's words that I narrowed my talk to um, are tried and proven. Mm. The first one is that it's durable. It's durable. I mean, human beings have been dealing with God's words since Adam, you know. Long before the Bible was produced as it is, to, as we know it to be today. And then you had the patriarchs who practiced the oral tradition. They didn't have what to read from, but dad would tell son and son would tell son and son tell son unto the third and fourth generation, you know. Mm -hmm. And so Isaac learned from Abraham, who learned from Terah. And mm -hmm. Jacob learned from Isaac, then he taught his sons, Joseph mm -hmm. and others. And so, um, and so the word of God is permanent. Mm -hmm. and, and I read the text in Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah chapter 40 and verse mm -hmm. 8, that says mm -hmm. the grass which again, I can tell you, the grass is as old as, cre as since creation, you know. Yeah, it's true. The grass outlives any human being. Maybe not the mm -hmm. same blade of grass, but exactly. grass, you know. <laughs> grass in yeah. general. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the grass has been around, and even then, God says through his word, of his word, the grass will wither and mm -hmm. dry and burn and be no more but his words will survive exactly and when we talk about god's words we're not talking only about the written word but the living word of his son jesus which is a complement of the written word it's a complement and a complement of his written word mm -hmm. And so it's durable. It's, it's, it's number two. I did say that it was, uh, it was re reliable, which means you can trust in it. It's proven to, 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 to do what it says it would do. You know, 
God says that it will not return unto him empty or void. But if it's sent forth with a purpose, that purpose will be fulfilled. And we see it. We see it. One, you know, it changes people's lives. David says God's words will change you. The entrance of your word brings light. He says, my word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against you. I learned the story of a missionary who went out into a country in Africa. And he, he came upon some cannibals whose favorite menu is the human flesh. And they grabbed these, these, um, these cannibals, flesh-eating, human flesh-eating human beings, grabbed the missionary and it's like he felt that they were saving him up for supper. And then the chief of the cannibals came and said to him, oh, if it was not too long ago, you would have been digested already. Oh, wow. But because of this little book, and he showed him a Bible, hmm. we won't eat you because it has changed us. Oh, wow. Now we eat the fruits from the trees and the fish from the waters and the vegetables from the soil. Hmm. So the word of God is effective. It changes lives. It has changed me, and mine is my strongest testimony, not that of the cannibals in Africa, but of my own life. Had it not been for the word of God, my name would only be a distant memory and a sanctified imagination of the mind, a figment of man's imagination. You wouldn't know me. You wouldn't have heard about but the word of God has delivered me enough, preserved me enough for us to meet. Yeah. So mm. it, is, it is reliable. And finally, mm. it is applicable. I could use the same illustration here that I just used to explain that the 7 billion people upon this earth Seven billion plus. Each one, if they open this book and search diligently for something to apply to their lives, they will find it. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. They will yep. find it. Because Jesus says, no one comes to me or comes after me. Yes. That will not receive from him. Hmm. Wow. wow. So it's applicable. So it's applicable. So you said also that we have to stock up on the word and we have to share the word. How do we stock up on the word? To stock up age? to stock up on the word is basically to um, study the word and apply it to your life. Don't ignore it and say you can get by without it. But fill up your mind with the concepts and the messages and the narratives of the word. And then fill up your life with the practicum. So you fill up mm. your mind with the theory and you fill up your style of life, your style of living mm. with the practicum. Mm -hmm. You practice what you learn from it. Mm. Do you think that um, we have to be very intentional nowadays because our lives are so busy to make sure that we are taking time to spend with God's word every day? Beautiful. I couldn't say it better than you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, um, there are reasons why even good religious people and Christians ignore the Bible, you know. There are reasons. The forces of evil are doing everything to make oh, yes. us hate the Bible. Absolutely. His, his wrath is against this because of its power to tra change people, yeah. transform people. So there is an evil power working 
to keep us from the Bible and to keep the Bible from us. And so it is not a natural taste that we have for the Bible, you know. Mm. Paul says spiritual things, and nothing is as spiritual as the word of God. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. But I add a little th thing to that and say it is spiritually desired. We mm. don't have the natural desire for anything that is good. Our nature that we were born with and, and that we, we have been bred with is, 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 is not automatically towards God, you know. Hmm. The carnal man and the carnal mind is not towards God. Mm -hmm. And so we don't automatically get excited over the Bible just because we are called Christians or we are human beings. It takes, I believe in my heart, that it takes the influence of the Holy Spirit to make us sense our need for something better and then to give us the impetus to go after, after this. And there are people who search the scriptures sometimes and it's not for good reasons. Some people search it just to justify their pre, preconceived notions. As you notice, every preacher refers to the Bible. Even if after his sermon he's going, he's going to, the, to the gambling house. I don't know why, why doesn't he read um, um, Proverbs 13 and verse 11. He's not going to read that one. You know what that one says? In the Amplified Version, it says, uh, uh, it is wrong to gamble. Mm. Right. Or he's not, going to, he's not going to quote the one that says, um, do not use the gospel to get rich mm. from Paul. I think it's wow. Corinthians 17, somewhere there. He says, there are many who use the gospel to get rich mm -hmm. and they shall pay for it. And that's not the prosperity gospel yes. Yes. that people yes. tend to be preaching. Right. And they call mm -hmm. them um, huskers, huskers, mm -hmm. huskers mm -hmm. that use the gospel to enrich themselves, to use a platform. Some people, some people start a church only to guarantee themselves an income. Income. Mm. And, and so forth. It's like a business idea, a business concept. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. trust me, that's a misuse of the word of God because we mm -hmm. see people doing it when the Apostle Paul was preaching and, and they were punished for doing so. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We see a guy coming to, to offer uh, money for the Holy Spirit and he was rebuked. And punished yeah, yeah, in, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the book of Acts, you see. So, so yeah, yeah. people who do that are running a serious risk of their well-being um, with God, who is the author and giver of this book. So, yeah. so um, back to your question of, of uh, using the Bible. Could you repeat the last part of the question again? We have to be intentional to make sure that we spend time with God's word every day. Oh, yes. We have to do that. We have to study to show ourselves approved, approved mm -hmm. unto God. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and good Christians study the Bible. In fact, mm -hmm. in fact, there are Christians who regard this spiritual food, source of spiritual food, even more than their physical food. And these are the ones that the Holy Spirit will reveal uh, more of the details of his truth to, in order to help others who don't achieve that level of, or that depth of spirituality. I mean, the Bible won't save us, but it can lead us to salvation. It provides 
the way to Christ. It tells us how, how we will be saved. And so they go together. We can't live without it. Yeah, amen. So we had a baptism in the middle of um, the last second service where you were preaching. Praise God. How can we, how can we as new Christians start, what steps can we do practically to start studying God's word? Amen. Well, new Christians are referred to by Peter and Paul as the lambs. Even John, I think John, John chapter 17, I think he talks about Peter, feed my lamb, or John 21, sorry, I'm sorry. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So he distinguished between the mature and the immature animals there. And, and he, he's referring to the Christian. So the new believer is referred to as the lamb. Uh, there's a lot they cannot do for themselves. And the sheep will have to provide that help. The matured, experienced, solid members and leaders of the church. And number one, it starts with building a good relationship with them and other church members so that they, they feel like they are part of a family. They're mm. appreciated, they're welcomed, they're received. If not, mm. isolation will be their, their demise. And mm. we are guilty of cliqueism sometimes where, you know, it's just my circle of friends. Who are you? You know, yeah. and especially the more affluent um, people, they, they sometimes keep in the circle of other affluent people. Mm -hmm. And it affects sometimes church members' relationships with each other. Uh, and yeah. so yeah. leaders of the church have got to help the newcomers to feel like they're a part of the family. Find a place, help mm -hmm. them to find their place. That's mm -hmm. step number one. Number two, um, uh, we, we should not be inclined to confuse their theology and assume that they are ready for, you know, the prophecies and the symbolic messages and that, you know, they have to, you, you need this. They have to know mm -hmm. that it, it, it takes time to be holy. And sanctification mm -hmm. is the exercise and experience of a lifetime. And that mm -hmm. you must start with them slowly. And mm -hmm. Peter says you must give them the milk of the word. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, the general subjects of salvation, how mm -hmm. to love God and how to understand God's love for them how to share their experience with their friends, how to, how to attend church regularly, because it's, it's by attending that we become strong and they're supported by others. The Bible says, if you forsake the assembly of yourselves together, God does not like that and you will not be helped by that. And so you explain the need and the necessity of those basic things to them. And then you go ahead and, and list some basic gospel Bible studies, gospel-based Bible studies for them to practice at home. The gospel of mm. salvation, repentance, um, living out the gospel in your daily life, how mm. to attend church, how to witness for Christ, the basic stuff. And give them a list and the passages of scripture where they can get support for these subjects and let them do a lot of work on their own, but manageable work. Don't tell, yes, don't yes. give them assignment to calculate the 2,300 days profit. To keep it from them, but, but, but go in order, build a root yeah. before you can get to the branches mm -hmm. and take time with them. If you choke them with too much or too heavy material too early, guess what happens? You destroy mm. their interest yeah. and they will not show up for the Bible study. 
And then in Sabah school, we have to be careful not to just take comments and contribution from, from your friends only and from the educated ones, but find a way to accommodate even the new believer to hear from them. They may not mm -hmm. say it right, but you still have to commend them. Exactly. I was at the Sabbath exactly. school some years ago and I was a visitor. Nobody knew me, but this brother was really getting away with the message of the lesson, you know? And, mm -hmm. and the lady asked to say something and she said something. I think she did her very best. And the brother said, you are wrong, sister. You are wrong. You mm -hmm. did not study your lesson this week. Oh man, if the earth had opened, I would disappear. I mean, I would feel better not hearing that. And he went on and the poor sister became deflated. I could see, I could tell, and it affected other members of the class, especially me in a negative way. And then I had a talk with the pastor of the service and I pointed out the situation and, you know, kind of gave him some ideas about who to, 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 to be asked to, to teach the lesson. People yeah. like that destroy the faith of, of, of weak people, you know. And yeah. so, you know, and so I encourage them to always commend people, even for trying, even for making a comment. Find a way to say, you know, my dear sister, I didn't think you would talk, but now that you have talked, I have more energy to continue talking. And say only one little thing there your point is well taken but let's look mm -hmm. on this text and read a text that may counter what she says but make it make it not seem like it's coming from you and say and say to her or him um how do you see your comment in the light of this text and then you start mm -hmm. a healthy conversation and when you do it like that you offend less and you encourage mm -hmm. more and the, the new ones feel that there's a part for them okay. and they will continue. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor. That was wonderful. You're welcome. It's so encouraging to know that we can, as we, as we progress in our own spiritual walk, that, you know, as we grow more and more every day, that we can just take God's word just to help us along the way. Okay. And we can um, help one another to get where we all want to go and that's to see Jesus. Amen. There's a little book that the conference is dispensing right now to churches. It's entitled Winning and Keeping God's Mission for the Church. And mm. it's really how it's really about how to understand especially new believers or immature believers. Immature does not mean in a negative sense that they are that well let me not use a term but 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 those who are still developing their faith mm -hmm. and the bible talks about mature christians you know and mm -hmm. immature christian paul says of some course. of you are still childish in your mm -hmm. in your theology so so right. but i didn't mean i didn't mean the expression in a negative way but this book is available to churches several churches are using them there are 12 lessons involved, and, and they are all geared up to, to help struggling members to learn how to be closer to Christ through the study of his words and all the things we just talked about. But most importantly, there's a chapter, I think it's chapter 10 or 11, that tells the new believer of their responsibility for their own faith development. And it outlines what they should do and can do and how to do it in order to grow strong, even if there are no, if there is no help around mm. them. Support system. Right. Mm. Mm. And what is the name of the book again? It's called Winning and Keeping God's Mission for the Church. Awesome. Every awesome. Sabbath school okay. teacher needs to read that book mm. and get and you know get the help that it provides for ministering yes. to new belie believers and and mm -hmm. and and it also the book also has a chapter on the responsibility of mature members for the immature ones 
Yeah, there you go. There you go. Exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Okay, so I want to thank you again, Pastor. And if you would like to hear more of Pastor's full sermon, you can go to Plantation SDA Church YouTube channel or plantationsda.tv and be sure to um, notify, be notified of all the live streams that are going on and also subscribe to our channel. There's so, so many things that you can actually watch and learn more about how amazing God can be in our lives. Can you pray for us, please, Pastor? And Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this ministry mm -hmm. that is being run at the Plantation Church to expand your influence mm -hmm. and the influence of your word um, around the globe and mm -hmm. especially here in North America. Mm -hmm. Thank you for my dear sister and her team and all that they do to make your work um, um, easier and to make your word reachable I thank you for the time we have spent together I pray you will guide everything that is done hereafter mm -hmm. so that at the end of the day the name of God will be glorified and the lives of his people will surely be blessed thank you for hearing and answering our prayer and thank you for this moment together with my dear sister in jesus name amen 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 thank you pastor and to all our podcast listeners um, remember you can always send in your questions and your comments to 954-388-8780 and we have a few birthdays um, for today on october 18th is emmanuel dulce october 20th is olivia smith and October 21st will be Stephen Cheddar. And happy birthday to all our celebrants. And once again, Pastor, I'd like to say thank you so much for your word on Sabbath. It was awesome. And just to remind our listeners that they can always go and re-listen to Pastor's sermon on plantationsda.tv. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. God bless you. All the best. <laughs>